Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Thank you, sir. Can we give it up for those who were baptized one last time? So, for those of you who do not know, many of you do, my name is Chris Bell. I'm the student pastor here at the Ridge, and I'm privileged to be able to spend a little bit of time with you um, this morning. And this morning, my goal is to be honest transparent and challenging right out the gate, okay? Um, But I'd love to share a little story with you. My senior year of high school was a ton of fun. This is a picture of me, uh, my senior year, and may I add, I don't know what I'm doing with my face, okay? (laughs) Like, that's the one regret I have. Football, grades, why couldn't I have just smiled like a normal human being? My mom got this picture and was like, what in the world? And I was like, mom, I don't know. I really don't know. So I think that's the only picture I've ever taken where I've smiled like that. But um, it's full of fun, um, full of distractions, too. I spent a lot of time my senior year aiming to get a football scholarship into college. And I, I got one. I went for a year, and it, it, all, it got taken away like a year later, and God had bigger plans. I went to Johnson, and the rest is history. And so all the blessings out of my life is from that school. Uh, I got to ride a horse with my date to prom. Um, my date was always 100 yards in front of me when we were on these horses because I was back here looking like a fool, trying to get my horse to straighten out, and he's going every which direction. She was an advocate for horses. Um, I focused a lot of my time on girls and not enough time on school, right? I'm sure there's a lot of guys in this room who are like, yeah, I, I, I agree. And so the second semester of my senior year, I had to write an English paper. Now, this English paper carried a majority weight of the final English grade. I mean, when you went into high school, you knew that Miss Crutchfield was your senior English teacher, and you had to write a 20-page paper. And you were like, I'm not looking forward to that day. Well, the day has finally come. And I, my topic is player safety in the NFL. Now, this was a very comfortable topic, which meant that I could wait till two days before the rough draft needed to be turned in, and I'd be good. I'd just type up everything I knew about Peyton Manning and player safety, and I was good. Good to go. So I turn in the paper. I'm walking down the hallway uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and Miss Crutchfield looks at me, and she says, Chris, can you come in here for a second, which is not normal of Miss Crutchfield to do, right? And she calls me in, and she's got a smile on her face. I got a smile on mine, hopefully not like the one in the senior picture. And she says, this is a great topic. And I'm like, oh, keep telling me how great I am, please. And she said, but this paper is shallow. Number one, ouch, Miss Crutchfield, I thought you loved me, whatever, right? Number two, um, I, you have no idea what you're talking about. I know football. Like, I love football. I live football. There's no way that the content in that paper isn't good. And then number three, what else did I expect to hear when my attention was on everything else but the, ta- but the task at hand, which was the paper, right? Uh, Ms. Crutchfield goes on to say, Chris, did you even study for this paper? The honest answer is no, I didn't. Because it doesn't seem like you are a very engaged student in my class. Newsflash, you're in your senior year. You need to pick it up, okay? 
But, she says, I do know that you have what it takes. And I'm not just saying this because it's the teacher thing to say. I know you have what it takes to write a phenomenal paper. All you have to do is study. That's it. Easier said than done, I know, especially for all the students in the room, right? All you have to do is study. And so my question to you is, what do you think of when you hear the word study? Maybe you're a middle school student or you're a high school student right? And you would much rather focus on all the fun that's going on. It's all good. It's good stuff. But your number one task at hand is to be a student, right? Maybe you're a college student and you live your life drinking Red Bull because your face is buried in the books all day, most of the night, two hours of sleep, get up, do it all over again, okay? And then you stay up all weekend and have fun with your friends. Maybe as an adult, right, studying is important for us in our self-improvement and may be a major contributing factor to your success in your profession. Whatever it may be, study is important. And when it comes to our faith, we face an epidemic. Ed Stetzer is uh, one of the chief chairmen for Billy Graham before he had passed and I'm sure he's carrying on his legacy some, in some way. But he says this. He says, America can be proud of many things. Our innovation, generosity, entrepreneurial spirit are all unsurpassed. Yet when it comes to our nation understanding one of the greatest gifts ever given to humanity, the Bible, we're moving from dumb to dumber. And it's no laughing matter. Number one, Ed, ouch, I thought you loved us, Right? Number two, you have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus is my whole world. I love Jesus. Number three, what else do we expect to hear when our attention is on everything else but the task at hand? We are moving from dumb to dumber. And stats show that. And we'll get into those here in just a bit. But I don't just want to speak to the choir here. I'm going to be vulnerable about my habits in study as well as we move on. Study after study has revealed in the last quarter century that Americans don't read their Bible, they're not engaged with their Bible, and they do not know their Bibles. And so we are living currently in a post-biblically literate culture, which means we know of Jesus, but we really do not know him intimately as a country, which means if we cannot pick up the reins and pick it up because life is short, we face of being a post-Christian nation. And the next generation is looking to the adults to pick up the baton and to pass it to them by being an example and knowing the word. And I can hear Jesus saying and uttering, echoing what my English teacher said, Chris, have you even been studying for what's coming your way? Because it doesn't seem like you are a very engaged follower in the world that I've placed you in. But the good news is, because of my death on the cross, you have what it takes to live a legacy. You were made for more. All you have to do is study. I know it's easier said than done. But that's all we have to do is study. And so my goal today is to reveal through Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, 
steps of study that we can take. It's not, not just for pastors or anybody teaching. These are things that we can take as a church. I'm going to give you a little insight into how I've prepared today. While we dissect Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at Jesus' example as he is combating Satan. I mean, he is standing in the wilderness with Satan. Satan is trying to tempt him, and Jesus is fighting back with the word of God. And so the statement, our thesis for this morning is this. If we want to walk in victory, we have got to learn to study. There's no other option. We are going to be a nation full of people who cannot get a taste of victory through Jesus if we cannot learn to study the Bible and teach the next generation how to study and know God's Word. And so we're going to do that today. And so step number one is we have to understand the context. We're going to dive right in. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. What is the context? There's three questions we can ask to understand the context a little further. Number one is who is the author? Right? The author, his name is Matthew. And he's left his profession to follow Jesus. Simply put, he is our author today. Former tax collector. Number two is who is the audience? And I think it's important for us to know that Scripture was not written directly to us. Though we approach it that way. Scripture was written for us. Right? And so the audience here are Greek-speaking Jews, and we can see that in many elements of Matthew's writing. Number one, Matthew has a major concern with the fulfillment of the Old Testament because he's speaking to Jews, right? And they're very familiar with the Old Testament. We see he has a lot of emphasis on tracing Jesus' descent back to Abraham. We see his use with Jewish terminology. And so while primarily Jewish audience, again, it was written for us. And so it does have a universal outlook. So that's who our audience is today. Number three, what in the world is Matthew's purpose? Matthew's main purpose was to convince the Jews that Jesus was indeed their Messiah. Jesus was indeed their Messiah. They were having an inner battle, an inner struggle. Who do we follow? Who is God? And Matthew is saying, listen, Jesus is the true Messiah, right? He's not a political ruler like we seem to think that he will be, but he is the true Messiah, the Son of God. And that was his purpose. And so right now we're going to read through Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read through it all together one time. And then we're going to dissect it a little bit. And then finally we're going to get to the point where we can say, what in the world does this mean for me in 2019? A foreign book written to a foreign people in a foreign land. How do we apply that to 2019? And we're going to dig into that together. So starting off in verse number 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would have been hangry, right? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus responded to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. 
And he says, all this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him, surrounding him in victory. Right? If we want to walk in victory, we must learn how to study. And so let's dissect this just a little bit. Verse number one, for those of you who are baptized today, congratulations to you, so proud of you, and we want to surround you and help you in your journey. Just like you were baptized today, days before this, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And now all of a sudden he's being led by the Spirit, he's being led by his Father to be tempted in the wilderness. What is God trying to do here? right? Jesus was just baptized. They confirmed his mission and his standing here on on planet earth, and now he's being led to be tempted. And I think it's important to know that just like Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the Old Testament nation of Israel were wandering in the desert for 40 years, okay? So we have number one, the characters. We have number one is God, obviously, Obviously, he's sovereign. He oversees all scripture. Number two is the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We can look at them as the obedient son. Okay? And then we have Jesus who, come in the, who has come in the picture. He is the obedient son. He has come to correct what the nation of Israel has misunderstood and mismanaged. And so now he is here to show us the way. He is our savior. And then number four, we have Satan. And so we see that Jesus is now being led into the wilderness, which shows a deliberate purpose by God the Father to show his power through his son, Jesus, in the midst of this. And now God did not assume or did not think that Jesus would fail, right? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness after his confirmation to prove to Satan, you are not the victor here. Jesus is the victor. And he will reign supreme over you all the time in every scenario, in every circumstance. Right? And so we go on to verse number two. Jesus fasted. We see that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites in the wilderness, when they were wandering for 40 years, they were also hungry. Both were tested, but each of them reacted a different way. In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites continually trying to test God. God, if you're real, then you will provide us with these things. We're upset because our circumstances aren't right. There's no convenience here. We need you to come through. Show us that you're truly God, right? But Jesus responds by remaining obedient to God no matter what the circumstance. Verse number three, the devil aims at the most vulnerable position that we see Jesus in. His most weakest spot is his hunger. I would have been so hungry. I'm hungry right now, and I've already had a loaf of pumpkin bread, right? He would have been so hungry. And so Satan aims at Jesus' weakness. Jesus wasn't exempt from real physical need. We have to note that Jesus was human, 100% man. And so he was hungry. And Satan was like, you've got the power to do it. Turn these stones into bread. And we know that Jesus has the power to do it because later on in chapters 14 and 15, he multiplies very little food for a whole lot of people. So we know that he can do it, but Jesus remains obedient. Slide five and six. 
We see temptation A didn't work, so the devil falls back on temptation B. Notice what Satan does here. First, he aims for Jesus' weakness. Now Satan uses the Word of God to try to trap the Son of God. Satan quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12, to try and trap the Son of God. Now, if I were looking at this from a distance and I had a front row seat, I'd be like, dude, this ain't going to turn out well for you, Satan. Not today. You better back up, right? It wasn't going to work, and it didn't, but he tried, right? Verse 7, we see that Jesus responds with the Word of God. He's been quoting Deuteronomy this whole time to combat Satan and to fight against Satan's attacks. Deuteronomy, 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 the Word of God. Satan tries to manipulate Psalm 91, but Jesus is saying, no, that's not what that means. My focus is not of this physical world, My focus is eternity. My focus is the kingdom of God, and so I have to keep that focus. And the way that I'm going to do that is being in alignment with the Word of God. I've got to know the Word of God. I've got to study the Word of God. I've got to be intimate with the Word of God, because this is how we will fight. Plan A and B didn't work, and so Satan falls back on plan C. It's important to note that Satan does have dominion over this world. He's a very powerful being. He's a very intelligent being. Very, very smart, right? If we underestimate the power of our enemy, we will catch ourselves in a position wondering, how in the world did I get here? And I've caught myself in that position many, many times. But knowing the word of God keeps our alignment. And Jesus' focus was not to compromise his loyalty to his father. Verse number 10, we see Jesus, the son of God, ruling over Satan, right? We see him victorious, the angels come and surround him in verse number 11, and we see his loyalty to his father has not been compromised, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. So Jesus shows us the way. Point number three is this, we can apply the scriptures. Number one, we understand the context. Number two, we understand and interpret the scriptures. And then lastly, we apply the scriptures. We can finally ask the question, what in the world does this mean for me? Because we do that, we tend to skip steps one and two. I do this all the time. I come to Scripture, and I'm reading through my lens, my experiences, everything that I have, uh, have gone through, and I'm just saying, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? Right? But in reality, Scripture has a purpose. Scripture has an original meaning that we must not compromise. We must be able to study Scripture by understanding the context. Ask who the author is. Who is the audience? What kind of cultural things are going on? What's the author's personality? What's his writing style? There's so much more that we can get into, but for the sake of time, we won't do that, and I don't want to bore you, all right? But now we can finally ask, what does this mean for me? And the truth number one is this. Sometimes the Spirit will lead us into the wilderness. You know that saying, God will not give you more than you can handle? But sometimes I really do believe that he will give us more than we can handle because it means that we'll fall back on him. If I could handle it all the time, I wouldn't need him, right? Everyone meet Sarah. This is Sarah Taylor. She's on the far right there. And then my daughter in this picture looks like she's been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. She she just got done running around. She's all sweaty. Um, But this is Sarah And Sarah is a high school student in our high school ministry here at the Ridge. Sarah also has a heart of gold. And I do not say this because I'm supposed to, 
or because of the circumstances that she currently faces. Sarah has the most generous heart that I've ever met. She is a leader to her peers. She is wise beyond her years. And she also found out this week that she's the carrier of a rare bone cancer called osteosarcoma. And she's a freshman in high school. Talk about walking through the wilderness. And I'm encouraged. I'm inspired by Sarah. She should inspire us all. Because we were sitting in our living room, Kayla, myself, Madison's running around going nuts, and Sarah is crying. I'd say there's a little bit of fear there. Actually, I'd say there's probably a whole lot of fear there. But her number one goal, I said, Sarah, what's your number one goal? Because I want to know so we can help you figure that out through this journey. She cries. This is my number one goal. It's how others see me handle this journey and whether it'll lead them to Jesus or not. As a freshman in high school, and I'm going to be transparent and honest with you, I struggle with health anxiety, right? And the idea that I struggle with in my head a lot of the times is the reality that she's facing. And just being in the midst of that idea for myself, I'm always focusing on me, me, me. I get quiet. I isolate myself. I start to feel bad for myself. And then I have a freshman in high school that I have the privilege of leading and knowing, and she is concerned about whether people will know Jesus or not. And that makes absolutely no sense, if you think about it. Absolutely no sense. The only thing that makes sense about it is that Jesus is with her. That's the only thing that makes sense and gives her any kind of perspective. And she's focused on Jesus and so on the day that I had the privilege of going up to the hospital, up to Riley, and so did uh, Pastor Tim, and we had the privilege to sit with her on the day of her biopsy. And they had to go in and do surgery because she's got a tumor, massive tumor in her arm, in her left arm, up near her shoulder. And she went to go get scans done to see if it spread to her lungs, and she was about to get the surgery to see what kind of cancer it was. She knew, her, she and her family had a, had a pretty good idea that they were walking into this journey because the doctors had warned them because they'd seen it plenty of times. And the day of her biopsy, I woke up that morning, I was getting in the shower, getting dressed, and as I was putting coffee on the coffee pot, I was looking through my Instagram as I usually do, and the first thing that I see on, uh, on her story is a scripture, and it was Psalm 56 verse 4, and it said, I trust God, so why should I be afraid? The day of her biopsy. And so my question to you is, are you prepared with the word of God to combat the enemy's attacks? Do we, and not just do we know Scripture, but are we intimate with Scripture? Do we really know how to utilize Scripture to fight against the enemy? Because we're all going to have vulnerable times in our lives. Sarah is walking through one of the most vulnerable times of her life, and the only thing she has to cling to is Jesus. And she knows her faith will be rattled during this time. And so what can we do to make sure that we are equipping ourselves with Scripture. Here are some things. And you may want to no take note of these because there's no fill-in-the-blanks on your paper. But number one is make time. Number one is make time. This seems to be the biggest hurdle for us as Americans to read the Bible. It's mine. And the question, I think, we should change our question. It shouldn't be, where can I find the time? The question should be, what in the world am I going to prioritize? 
because we can make time. God's given us the time. And so we can make time. Number two, approach the Bible with an attitude of prayer. This immediately places us in a position of humility. It be, it, we become a student of the word. Rather than, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for me and my experiences? It means we become students to the word. We really want to know what the word is trying to communicate. We want to know what God has inspired these authors to write. And then we say, okay, based on what I know, what can I take from this to apply in my world? Number three, if you are already in the habit of reading the Bible, my encouragement and challenge to you would be find somebody you can disciple or find a group that you can lead into a better understanding of knowing Scripture. And may I add, side note, I am not preaching to the choir here. I struggle with all these things. And so this is something that I'm teaching myself as well. And then number four is join Cultivate. We have a class on December the 4th. And one of our values here at the Ridge is that we relentlessly pursue next steps to grow closer to Jesus. Right? And so now we, we have a class in, uh, where you can seek after next steps in relation to the values that we have been experiencing in this series called Thrive. Things like worship, prayer, study, generosity, and rest. And so you can join Cultivate, and there are some practical next steps, some practices there that will help you discover what your next steps will be. Plug over. All right? Truth number two. Satan knows Scripture, so we must be doers. This is scary to admit, but I'd have to say at my current point, in my current place and position in life, Satan knows more Scripture than I know Scripture. Satan uses psalm to try to trap Jesus. That communicates to us it's not just enough to read Scripture and then put it aside as if it's a to-do list thing that we've marked off. We feel good about ourselves. Scripture requires our devotion. Scripture requires our time and our energy. Because if we just know Scripture, we're no better than the enemy trying to attack us with it. We truly have to be intimate with it and know how to apply it to our lives. In a recent study done by LifeRay Research, they found some interesting stats among regular church attendees and their Bible habits. 19% of regular church attendees read the Bible every single day, and that number is only going down. 26% read it a few times a week. If I'm honest, this is where I'm at. 14% read it once a week with intentionality. 22% read it at least once a month. 18% read it rarely or never. And we are living in a post-biblically literate culture. And we run the risk of Christianity being completely exempt. Jesus still reigns powerful over all. But we run the risk of our kids and our kids' kids and their kids' kids not knowing who Jesus is. Because we are becoming, as Ed Stetzer has said, dumber and dumber when it comes to the Bible. And it's no laughing matter. This should be a challenge to all of us. Uncomfortable question alert as we wrap up. What are your weaknesses? Do you know what your weaknesses are? Because here's something I've figured out, and here's something we should all know, is that if you don't know your weaknesses, Satan does. And I do not want Satan knowing me more than I know me. Because then you place yourself in a position of being completely engulfed by temptation. 
The most dangerous position, the most vulnerable position is not in the presence of temptation. Our most vulnerable position is being placed in a place where we do not understand what our weaknesses are. We can fight temptation if we know what our weaknesses are. We can wake up every single day prepared with the word of God to fight a battle. I hope that our military doesn't go into a battle completely unaware of what's going on, right? That'd be dumb. In the same way, it's dumb for us to walk into a battle every single day and not prepare ourselves for it. Because then we find ourselves defeated before it even ever hit us. Right? And I find myself in that situation all the time. And so what do you suffer with? What are your weaknesses? Do you struggle with anger and outbursts? Do you struggle with pornography or lustful thoughts? Do you struggle with anxiety or worrisome thoughts? Do you struggle with suicidal thoughts? Do you struggle with compulsive lying? Whatever it is that you struggle with, know that Jesus has shown us the way to defeat it, and that is through the Word of God. Being in alignment with the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, preparing for battles with the Word of God. So what are your weaknesses? Because if you don't know them, the enemy does. And he will devour and he will attack. The Word promises us that. And as we wrap up here, the last truth is Jesus shows us the way to victory. Jesus shows us the way to victory. If I were to put it in terms for myself, I was trapped, not literally, I was trapped in a burning home with no way out. Jesus came in and he rescued me and brought me out without a touch of the flame and wiped me clean, made me holy, made me righteous. I didn't do a thing. Jesus did it all. On the cross, he has come to rescue us. And not only that, but he's given us this love letter that we have so much access to as Americans. A lot of times, we, I have probably five, six Bibles at my house. Right? We have so many, and, I'm, and I fall in the 14% where I read it once a week. We have this love letter that's so freely given to us. So what are we going to do with it? So my question is this, what are we going to prioritize? As adults, I want to speak to adults in the room, what are we going to prioritize so that the next generation, so that our kids know Jesus? Not just know about him, but really do know him. Because let me tell you, our culture is not getting more user-friendly for your kids if they want to access the world and be comfortable and know uh, things to succeed. They have to know Jesus. They have to know the word. And the reason, I know this is a little biased, so I'm getting passionate about this right now, but, I, but it's my job to make sure that we understand as a church that our next generation, we are at a danger of them not living in a world where Jesus is either not thought about or non-existent. And so what else do we expect to hear when our attention is everywhere else but the task at hand? Students, I know that your attention is being pulled from every which direction. And it's hard to focus. And I apologize to you. I apologize to you as a church, for me personally, that as a whole, you haven't been led well when it comes to Scripture. I'm not speaking to everybody in the room, but I apologize to you. 
And guys, my challenge to us as a church is that we stand up and that we lead our next generation in God's word and we lead them well. So what are we going to prioritize this morning? Together as a church, I fall on the 14%. So I don't, I'm not just preaching to the choir here. Challenge me too. Challenge me too. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us this morning. God, I thank you for who you are and all that you do for us. We thank you for your sacrifice. But God, personally for me, help me to see your word as reverent. Help me to see your word as the ability to equip others to fight against the enemy and to lead others to your throne. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for your good grace and your good mercies every single day. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our kids. Thank you for our students. God, thank you for this community. And God, we pray for Sarah. We pray for a healing. Pray for a miraculous healing. But God, whatever your purposes are, help us to have a faith that's big enough to understand when you say no. Help us to surround Sarah and her family well, to love them well, to guide them well. We pray all this in your name. Amen.